0: Welcome to the Dear Seekers podcast. This is Sasha. Just in case you haven't heard, Dear Seekers is now more than a podcast. It's a bi-weekly newsletter that has the podcast conversations still. But on top of that, it's going to have column or diary style essays and internet rabbit hole finds. Why I made this change? If you want to know more about it, you can head to the Curious episode. I've included the link in the show notes as well if you'd like to sign up to our newsletter. All right, 2021, our first conversation. Woohoo! Oh my god, that sounds a little bit forced, but I am excited about today's conversation. It's with Nikki O'Neill, she is an artist, an interior, and spatial designer. In 2017, we connected through Instagram. During that time, Nikki was running her design agency, 800 square feet, and the apartment, which allowed customers to shop every single item in that apartment. From the bed linens to the clothes hanging in the closet. Pretty cool, right? It was a big hit. Nikki not only gained tons of press, but also lots of industry recognition. But the thing is, the business was running faster than she could keep up with. And behind all the glamour and rainbow, Nikki felt incredibly unfulfilled. In the end, she decided to let it go and went into a long period of what she called it, creative hibernation. And Nikki is now back on the grid and just rebranded her business as a brand new concept, O studio, ODE. Which allows her to sink her teeth into multidisciplinary design. She's a regular design expert on CD Line and has been featured on House and Home, Nouveau Magazine, and most recently, Refinery 29. In this conversation, we talk about the importance of seeing creative endeavors as seasons. There are winters and there are summers. And creative wintering is actually more important than we give it credit for. We talk about identity. We talk about how dancing with our own darkness is just as crucial as embracing our light. We chatted about canceling the outside noise. We laughed a lot. I even shed a few tears. Not sure it was because Nikki was that amazing or because of the hormone in me as a breastfeeding mother or could be the combination of both, who knows. But either way, I enjoyed our conversation very much. It's definitely one of those conversations I myself will often turn back to. And as a disclaimer, there are some curse words in there. The F word is in there. I assume we're all adults here. And just as always, please leave us a comment or review on Apple Podcast, and it will go a long way. Anyway, appreciate your help to help us reach more ears. Now, let's on to the conversation. Well, welcome to Dear Seekers, Nikki.
1: <laughs> Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh my goodness. Um, I just feel like so grateful right now to be sitting in in this space with you virtually, because. I still remember vividly that we were sitting in the restaurant, you know, what was the restaurant's name? It doesn't even matter anymore.
1: Aloe. (laughs) It was Aloe. Yes, yes, yes. Aloe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then we we met at that moment and we clicked right away. And I think we were both in a very different space at that time. Um, I can speak on your behalf, but I think I was in a definitely different space at that moment. I think I was trying to figure out what was the next chapter for me. And and I think you were also trying to, you felt the urge of something new was coming. But I think at that moment, you were also trying to figure out, navigate in between the old you and then maybe welcome the new you. So I think it's very exciting that we're sitting in this space right now, kind of meet again in this new realm that we're in. Sounds a little bit woo woo, but I'm really, really excited. Um, Me too. So Before we get into all this like new stuff, new good stuff you're doing, I want to kind of you take us all the way back. Can you paint a picture for me what your childhood was like?
1: My childhood. Oh, my goodness. That's such a that's that's a lot. Um, Well, I grew up I grew up in a traditional Nigerian family. There's five of us. So I'm the second eldest. I'm the first girl, but um, second eldest amongst five. And. I don't know what area of my childhood do you want me to dive into? There's a lot of stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. What about this? Let's uh, pause here. And you do mm-hmm. me a favor. If mm-hmm. you can close your eye right now. Okay. And,
1: and what kind of memory popped into your head right now? Memory that popped into my head was um, I, we were at, uh, we used to live in uh, Malton. I used to go to school in Bolton, but my family lived in Malton. And um, I just remember being in that home for some strange reason and um, my brothers being outside and playing a very short memory. But it was just um, when I think childhood, I envision that house for some reason. We moved a lot. So it's interesting that that's the house that my mind picked at the moment. But we moved almost every year. So The idea of home was a moving one, or at least it wasn't rooted in a building. Can you kind of
0: paint a picture for us, like what the house was like? If nobody has seen the house, yeah, paint a picture of like if you have to describe this house, and then what what's the decor, and then what's the atmosphere, and then if you can
1: take give us a tour. You know, the interesting thing is that I never really the so the house was. I believe a semi-detached, it wasn't a bungalow, but it was a semi-detached home and it was fairly large. Like there was many floors and our family, although we were a big family, five kids. And then my mom and my dad, my dad traveled quite a bit and wasn't around a lot, but um, we always had people living with us. So even though there was five of us and we already were a big family, we had somebody that lived in our basement. We had, and we took in a guest as well. So our, my house was always a place. My my family was always a family that was open and allowed people to come in. My mom was a mom who, um, she was kind of like a community mom, to be honest with you. So there was always people going and flowing in and out of our house, um, which is quite interesting for me because I'm an introvert. So I don't know if I liked it or not, but. The one thing I do remember is my room was always like my sacred place. It was a place where I could escape. I didn't have to talk to nobody. I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to do anything. Um, Decor wise and how it looked, our house was very packed. We had a lot of stuff. We had a lot of stuff. And also because my mom was a community mom, not only for community, when I say community mom, I'm not just talking about like in the direct vicinity, like we always had my brother was my brother was a very extroverted and had always people coming in and out of the house. Um, And his friends would always come over and things like that. So my mom was the community mom in that sense. But also, my mom was also the community mom for like the larger like Nigerian community. Um, I'm I'm Yoruba and um specifically from a town my my mom is from a a town called akiti and we she used to be the uh, the vice president of the akiti association in canada so all the when people came newly from from akiti to canada she would always like help them out she would always like be kind of like their extended family so we were always the extended family for like everybody it seemed you know so there was always like an influx of like being able we didn't lock our door people could come as they want like it was just very like a lot of movement and for me I don't think it was traumatic or anything it wasn't traumatic at all but being a kid that was very very shy and introverted and needed time to myself it felt very uh there was a lot of movement let's say that
0: (laughs) I found it interesting now you're mentioning that because, you know, you talk about your room being this sacred place of yours because you're introvert, you need space to recharge and then kind of be your own world, right? When right. There are so many people in and out and with like, you know, 800 square feet and the apartment that your higher creative endeavor kind of tied up to that, right? Like, I mean, we will talk about that later in, in depth about, how did that all started? But now I kind of make that association. You know, I, I see that throughout from early age when you use that room as your your creative canvas and then your sacred space.
1: It's interesting because I uh, before having this conversation with you, I've never, never made that correlation or that thought. Even when we started the conversation and I talked about um, moving a lot and never really tying the idea of home to a building. I never even thought about that before. Like it never occurred to me that tied home in like my childhood to a particular building or anything. So it's really interesting to like look back and think about that and think about where I am now and where I came from and how that might've influenced that. Um, So strange that I've never thought about it considering I'm very like, I I think way too much (laughs) about everything. Um, So it's really, it's really cool. But you know, the thing, I think what's also um What's also cool about it is the idea of like not tying home to a particular building. I think that perhaps probably affected me um, because we didn't have like this family home, like this traditional family home that I guess a lot of people or that you see a lot of. Um, So to be creating homes for people seems, you know, in my adult life seems kind of interesting, perhaps maybe because for me, I'm cre- I am create home for myself and, and it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel a particular way. And I think me wanting to help people also feel like they have their space. I don't even want to call it a safe space because for some people, home feel feels and looks like and is defined in different ways. You know, so I, I don't want to define it for anybody. But helping people create that sense of home for them is very interesting to think about where... I came from and now what I'm doing you know
0: mm-hmm. and even the style right because you were talking about that particularly building you just referring to had a lot of stuff right and right. now your style obviously you're being involving a lot but like it's definitely a little bit minimum right there's a yeah. lot of like intentional choices in the pieces you pick do you think that was kind of like the opposite direction because of that that childhood memory or the shaping who were even your style aesthetically
1: absolutely um my i think the fact that my home and this idea of intentionality and the pieces that i choose and the items that i bring into my home and it being so far from this maximalist kind of life that i grew up in um, is i think is directly related my my mom like i explained she's a community mom so what that meant being a community mom means that you're always thinking about other people. So our home was always packed. If my mom went to, went to a store, if there was a sale, she was not buying one of those items. She was buying 12 of those items because then she could give them away to people. She could um, send them back to Nigeria. So our home was always packed with so many things because my my mom was always shopping with other people in mind. It wasn't just a home for us very much when I was explaining people coming in and out products and things were coming in and out because my mom was buying things for people and um, storing things for people. It was very much about um, community. So in me, in me creating a space for myself um, it's interesting and this might sound terrible, (laughs) but my um my mom being somebody who is very much this giver i not only did my my design aesthetic form very different from what i grew up in i think also the idea of how like my mom my my mom's natural tendency to give and to outpour is also something that i also veered away from at least definitely in my younger years cuz i would always see how giving she was but we grew up always feeling like, for me anyways, it always seemed like we, we lacked a lot. We weren't rich when we grew up. So it was, it was so interesting to me. What I saw was somebody who always gave to everybody, but never had enough. So in my head, I think at some point I kind of, I kind of um, thought in my childhood that, well, if you kept all these things, then you wouldn't lack anything. That was the rationale that I had. Um, And it wasn't until I I got older that I realized what giving actually meant and how it kind of changes people But um, and why she does it. But it wasn't something I understood from the beginning. Like, I just never understood, why are you giving to everybody all the stuff that we could probably use, you know? (laughs) I grew up, my mom was the type of person that raised us and taught us that we could do and be whoever we wanted to be. And I I actually took that to heart. You know, I know, I guess parents say that to their kids and that's something that, you know, people grow up uh, hearing, you could be whatever you want. But for me, like when my mom told me that, I I actually just believed her. I was like, oh, I can, okay. So then I just chose. So I think that being ingrained in me and from a young age, And actually believing it, it's like literally like a dry sponge and you put a drop of water and it soaks that up. That's how it was. That message for me was like a dry sponge soaking up water. And it's it's so ingrained into like the very fabric of me that even now, once I've accepted that I want to do something, I have very little resistance around Mm -hmm. whether or not I'm capable of doing it. I just believe, yeah, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. Sure, why not? One thing I kind of like confuse a little bit. Maybe you can clear the air for me is when you talk
0: about, you know, um, your parents, especially your mom told you you can be whoever you want. But then you actually went into biotech, which was now we know wasn't your your biggest passion. And then the whole idea was really to fulfill their desire of you being one of the three occupations that can put a stamp approval on, you know, (laughs) now Nikki is a successful person. So, yeah, take us over there to see why even your, your mom told you you could be whatever you want.
1: Um, on the other hand, you actually kind of like took a little bit detour there. Girl, you asked some really great questions. Like, I never had an interview that's so in-depth and like, it's great. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, because a lot of these questions you're asking, I never put together. It's so crazy. Anyways, um, growing up, so my parents uh, are immigrants. So when you are an immigrant, you come to this country. My dad went to school in Calgary and, and uh, experienced a lot of racism there. So um, I think when my parents d- drilled in us this message of you could do and be anything you want to be, that messaging st- stemmed from this place of like, there is, no, there is no room for you to feel lesser than anyone. You're able to accomplish anything just like everybody else here, perhaps even better. So that messaging of you can do, you can be anything. If you want, if you put your mind to it, you can go for it. That is a message that was very, that was very much drilled into us. I think because they were, they were immigrants and because they were othered, you know, so they wanted to make sure that their kids weren't othered. They wanted to make sure that their kids didn't feel like they were othered. Um, so my parents did everything. My mom, especially did everything she could to make sure that we had every opportunity available. I went to French immersion, you know, I went, I lived, that's why I lived in Malton and went to school in Bolton. Like I had my growth spurt when I was really young. So in grade four, I was really tall. I was almost the same height as I am now in grade four. So I was on the, every basketball team, every sport. <laughs> And I, I grew up, I went to school in Bolton, elementary school in Bolton, tall, only black in my school. So I, I, I was part of the basketball team, volleyball team, all these different teams. And my mom, for a large portion of us being raised, was a single mom, um, raising five kids. But she would still drive me to practice, to Bolton. She would still drive me to, in the morning, to if I needed to do volleyball or any sort of extracurricular thing she she made sure that we had all the opportunities, so the idea of we could do and be anything um that was a messaging i think mainly focused around uh our abilities to accomplish every anything in the world she did i my mom and never wanted us to feel limited by anything now, if we get back to the idea of the three uh approved careers
0: <laughs> maybe you can well, share the, the the people who are listening yeah. who don't know
1: so, so being i think a lot of immigrants will know this it's a it's a general thing is essentially um you can essentially be three of one of three things you can either be a doctor lawyer or engineer those are the things that your parents kind of push and put on your plate like oh what do you want to be when you grow up oh i want to be like uh you know there's no you i don't even i can't even think of anything that i would say because literally those are the only three options you're kind of given i think part of that is that when with our parents in the time that they grew up and with the surroundings that they grew up for them those were the three professions in which you had the best chance of being successful so for them wanting wanting the best for us that was what the options were You doctor lawyer engineer there's prestige attached to those things they they're proud when it comes to those things to tell my mom that I wanted to be an interior designer you wanted to you want to do what I mean and I'm an artist so I drew and I painted and I did all these things and from a young age they knew that I was talented in in art like we used to get up seven o'clock in the morning my dad would wake us up seven o'clock in the morning and we were we were Christian so we would like have prayer time and as they're reading like the 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 stories, I would be, my dad would give me paper and I would draw out an image of the story. So by the end of our little, you know, prayer time, I would have an image of whatever it was we were talking about. So they knew from a young age that I was very artistically inclined. To be honest, majority of my siblings are artistically inclined, but we were all pushed to be doctor, lawyers or engineers. None of us are. We are all artists now. So (laughs) I think if they had just, if they had just instilled and, and, you know, (laughs) allowed us to be what we were we were we probably would have been in a different place but um so in sort of joke here so Mm -hmm. none of the five became one of the professions none one actually (laughs) one of them one of them is in is uh uh no i think i think he's he went to school and he was an he's an engineer he's an electrical engineer but now he's i think he's left that and now he's becoming an entrepreneur starting something in a creative field so we are all creatives So they literally wasted their time. <laughs> We're all wow, if, they, if they've been on a bet or something, their uh, chance of winning is zero. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I, I ended up, so when I was growing up, I said, okay, I would pick doctor. I'm an overachiever. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm gonna, I figured out, I'm like, what's the most creative Field in medicine, I'm like, oh, I could be a plastic surgeon. That's kind of like sculpting. I'm like, I could be a, I could be a maxillofacial surgeon. Like, I can help reconstruct people that get into accidents and things like that. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. well and to that, be honest, like even the thought of like connecting the two dots are like so artistic to me because I never
0: even thought of being a plastic surgeon is anything creative. Not to like decredit that uh, profession, but I would never thought it would be, associate that with like sculpture or. You know have any creative input so i think that's so interesting even the thought
1: of trying to connect the two dots justify that is some part of element into it, it you know the thing for me is that because i i was always like against plastic surgery because i always felt like you know if god made you that way then why who am i to like change it right but i always figured hey you know if if i could reconstruct like if somebody gets into an accident and they need me to reconstruct something yes i, I would love doing that so for me I I knew that I knew that wanting to be a doctor was something that I was doing to fulfill this desire for my parents. But I needed the freedom to choose somewhere in there. So for me, the freedom to choose was what type of doctor was I going to be? And the only thing that made sense to me was plastic surgery because it aligned with what I was doing anyways. Mm -hmm. And then obviously now we know the,
0: you know, the rest is history that actually you didn't Hmm. end up going to that route You kind of went a little bit deeper into it and you're like, oh, no, no, no. This is definitely not for me. So was there any moment that like a pivotal moment? Obviously, I feel like it's definitely microaggression of like you you just realized it wasn't for you. But was Mm -hmm. it like actually a moment that you really just wanted to give up on this profession that it's not? You feel like there was something else there for you?
1: There was two. One, when I decided that I wasn't going to be a doctor. And then the second was when I decided that I was going to step into the world of design. So the moment when I decided I wasn't going to be a doctor, I had done this. I went to University of Toronto. They had this program there where you got to shadow uh, somebody in a profession that you wanted to explore. I was paired with a surgeon, not a plastic surgeon, but it was like a general surgeon. And I got to live with her and all this sort of thing. So I lived with her went into the operating room and kind of got a view into what her life was like. And I didn't want the life. I didn't want that life. It wasn't her life in particular, but I got to see the lives of all the surgeons, not in depth, I didn't get to live with all of them, but I saw kind of like a behind the scenes view of what their life looked like. And the life that they had didn't look like the life, it didn't match the idea of the life that I wanted. They didn't have time. They didn't have time to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And I, I want to sink my teeth and have the juices of my labor dripping down my throat. So I didn't, I didn't want the life that they had. So it wasn't so much the profession that I liked it, I guess, minus the fact that I fainted when I was in the operating room. (laughs) But it wasn't, it wasn't so much the profession that I said no to. It was the life that came with the profession that I said no to. So that one, I, and then telling my mom that I didn't want to be a, doctor that was hard but um i did and then i so instead of being instead of being a doctor i decided okay well at least i'm i'm taking i'm taking biotechnology at school sorry i'm taking sciences at school i might as well look for another profession that's not a doctor that offers me time to have this life and enjoy life so i decided to go into biotechnology because it was happening and this this seemed to be the next thing at the time when i was in school so i was like yeah let me do that and it, I probably was doing it for about a year or two. The totality of my 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 years in the pharmaceutical, I guess industry was probably about five, six years. And I felt kind of lost in it. And then when i when I got to being this regulatory regulatory professional, regulatory affairs professional, I think, There was a quote that I had read. It was Steve Jobs, I think. I can't remember the specific, like word for word verbatim, but it said something along the lines of, "If if you wake up too many mornings and and you feel like like you don't love what you're doing, then you're doing the wrong thing." Sort of. Um, I'm I'm butchering it. It's it's much more eloquent and beautiful and impactful, but essentially that was the messaging. Was like if you're waking up too many mornings and you look yourself in the mirror and what you're looking at is not doesn't resonate with you or is not making you and you're not happy, then you're doing the wrong thing. So I remember looking at myself and I said read that and I said, yeah, no, this is not my ever after. Like this can't be the thing that I do. And then when I have children, um, and at the end of it say that I chose to do this and this is what my life looked like. That's no, it wasn't about to happen. So those were the two moments that pivoted my like the, tra- the trajectory of my life i guess or my career at least mm-hmm. and as many interviews you've done and
0: then through our conversations to learn about you i know that you started a blog and then kind of fast forward you had a company called 800 square feet um mm-hmm. and all department which was shoppable which was like one of like the, the first shoppable apartment in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was such a big hit. Um, I remember seeing it all over the news. Press was loving it. Everybody was loving it. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to you in that restaurant, I just remember you shared this with me that you feel like you, you can of your own dream. Like you feel like you wanted something more.
1: Do you remember that? Like at that time when we met, it was at a point where I was, I had been, I felt like I had been running after the company for 2 years trying to keep up with all the success and I didn't have the capacity knowledge know how to know how to deal with the expansion of it and how to scale it and how to expand it and how to bring people on and hire and all these sort of things it was very much this mentality of this is something that I want this I'm an artist I have an idea of how this I want this to be and how I want it to to make people feel and how I want to interact with people. But from a business perspective, you really do need a business mindset. And I didn't have that. So because I didn't have the business mindset, I couldn't let go of my baby. I couldn't let go of it so that other people could come on and, and help so that we could have a fruitful business. And it sounds terrible to have clo- to close something that's successful, but I didn't have the know-how. I didn't know how to keep up with it and it was eating me alive. So I I just needed a break. I needed to I needed to um listen to my body. It wasn't so much that I had outgrown it. It was more that it was growing faster than I.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I think at that point you were doing everything, right? Like you were, you know, people will have to come in. I remember you had like um a- Uh, schedule people can book to come in to shop Mm -hmm. and but then Mm -hmm. I I guess it's really hard to kind of from a practical standpoint it's kind of hard to maintain that because you have to do the inventory and then it's almost kind of
1: like a COVID right now for store they have to (laughs) do
0: and then you're doing that yeah right so it's
1: interesting the structure everything that I structured at that time and the way that we shopped part of it had to do with the fact that the uh, the the apartment was in a physical apartment. So part of the reason that I structured it in that shopping structure was because to get around the idea of how do I allow a retail sort of experience in an actual physical apartment, I ne- I couldn't just be people walking in off the street. Um, so that that is how I kind of structured it, because I kind of wanted this authentic apartment experience. When I started I very much started with what I had now. I didn't have 10 grand a month to have a, a store on Queen Street. You know, I wanted to be downtown. I know I needed to because it was all focused around small spaces. But I decided to start the business with what I had. And what I had was an apartment. So let me craft the story around an apartment. Let my problem be the solution. The fact that I didn't have 10 grand a month was irrelevant because I had an apartment and I was still going to do it. So I did it with what I had. But looking back, if I, if with the knowledge I have now, I could have sustained it. I could have brought people on. I could have got a grant. I could have got things to expand in the way that I needed to. There's so many things that I could have done, but that's, but I think everything is a lesson at the end of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't regret anything. I, you learn from it and then you grow and move, but Um, looking back, or are there things that I could have done different? For sure. But if I had done them differently, I wouldn't be who and where I am today. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about who you are and where you are today then. Would you say it's a new business or would you say it's kind of like a transition from uh, your old business to the new one? How would you describe this new business you have?
1: So Studio Ode is... um, It's not it's not I wouldn't call it a new it's rebranding of 800 square feet. So essentially with 800 square feet, which was my design business, even when I was running the apartment, I still had a design business that I was building. Um, And that design business was called 800 square feet. That was why my studio. I mean, my apartment was called the apartment by 800 square feet. And that business was built around small spaces. It was this whole idea of small spaces. I love the idea of small spaces. It was for me the canvas of small spaces was the canvas that I was using at the time being an artist that just happened to be this the canvas that I wanted these small boxes, you know, to kind of create in. But as my as I grew and as I evolved and I grew as a person, things changed and the work that I was doing changed and the and 800 square feet that business, the brand build around it, didn't have room for a different story to tell. It was about small spaces. So the rebranding of eight hundred square feet, or maybe the realignment of my business with the work that I was actually doing, is what we now have Studio Ode. That's what that's what manifested from that. Studio Ode is a multidisciplinary uh, design studio that focuses on space and creating space um in a holistic perspective. So we deal with physical space like interiors, public space like installations, and online space like branding. So essentially the work that we do is creating space and telling the stories of people through space. Mm-hmm. And that's what studio it's like is. multi-dimensional almost feels like.
0: I wonder because um, you talk about you have grown artistically also personally so, what are the things that you have discovered about, about yourself? I'm sure there's a lot, but if you can kind of pinpoint the the top couple ones that really
1: put a stamp on the highlight or something. Mm. Um, it's tough to describe without context, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that was one of the things that I learned about myself was um, my connection to body. I'm very headstrong and I've always been kind of very headstrong and I think especially in the society that we grow up in in North American society we kind of taught to glorify the mind in a sense that that's if you want to be successful that's what you you know this is what you listen to your mind you know and I you know you prescribe to that I prescribe to it so I was very headstrong and what that meant is that I listened to my mind and valued it over other elements of my being, meaning my body. So if I needed to, meaning rest, there was no rest, you know, like for example, when I, when I was talking about feeling worn down and tired because I was running after this business or whatever uh, in this evolution and this thing that I learned about myself is that my body um, speaks, (laughs) my body speaks and I, and it requires listening to, and it's, and it's really important for me to, um, honor all the sides of me, mind, body, spirit. And, um, I'm still learning a lot when it comes to that and honoring all of them and knowing how to balance all of that. But it's something that is absolutely necessary for me to live a healthy and full life. So I'm still trying to make sure that I honor those things, um, and giving space to each of them as they see fit, you know, mind, body, and spirit. Um, So that's one of the things I learned because beforehand I didn't really, it was kind of like this grind and this hustle kind of thing, you know, hustle culture, I guess people call it, Mm -hmm. where you just like just go and you glorify that sort of thing. And no, my body wasn't having it. Um, So that was one of the things that I learned that I needed. I need to respect all of those parts of me. Um, Another thing that I learned was. And I guess some of these things are like, they're probably obvious now. So it's kind of hard to say I, I learned them because it's kind of you look back and you're like, well, duh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, let me think um, another, another element of myself. And I, I'm i not going to say that I learned it about myself. I'm going to say I accepted mm-hmm. it. I am very blunt and straightforward. I say, th- I, I see things in a certain way and I say things in an honest way. And I think. Sometimes, um, growing up, and in my experience, it's not always looked at as the best. You know, some people think that it's perhaps you lack tact, or I don't know, I don't know the, the words, but essentially, um, it's not always looked at as a good thing to be a hundred percent honest and to be, um, blunt and to be and not sugarcoat things. And I, I think with me, I, In doing that, in trying not to come across abrasive or to step out of line or to um, all these things, you quiet your voice. Um, And I, I accepted that I'm just me and all I have to do is be and that's okay. And in me accepting that, I gave myself time and space to find my voice and use it. Um, Maybe maybe I'll pull back a little bit so that I kind of give context to what I'm talking about. I've had kind of like this, I have these seasons in my life. Let's say it this way. I have seasons in my life. You have your summers, you have your falls where you harvest. You have summers where you're basking in the glory and it's bright and sunny and everybody's around and loving the life. You have your falls where you don't have to do much but all the things that you've invested in now start reaping reward and you're harvesting and you're eating and you're full and all these sort of things. And you have winter winter, when things rest and there's not a lot of movement and you, you know, rejuvenate, then you have spring where you plant things. So my life has this cycle very much, very strong. I didn't know that before, but I see it now. And I honor each of those cycles, including my winters when things are not sunny and bright and not everybody's around. Mm -hmm. So, um, in my winter i that's the time for me when I evaluate, and I step back and it's interesting because even when I stepped back from the apartment, I closed it down that was a period when i was in I chose to be in a winter or my winter i my winter was calling, and I was refusing to step into it, which is why I became tired um so essentially in my winter. Uh, actually right before the rebranding of Ode was a p- long period of my winter. And in that period, I stepped back and I reevaluated and I looked at life and I kind of evaluated myself. And and I was at a period in my life where I was doing the things, all the things that look great. You know, I was on television. I am on television still, but I was on television. You know, I have this design business that I'm, you know, running and all these things you have the glitz and the glams about that whole thing but not feeling fulfilled in it, right? And I I I needed to step back so that I could feel good about what I was doing again. Also because my body was crying out to me saying, "We need you to listen to us," you know? So I stepped back to give myself time to hear my body and to explore and to rejuvenate, but also um, find my voice. What was it that I was searching for? What was it that I was needing to say? I, I had this strong desire to say something. I just didn't know what it was. And I didn't have the words and I didn't have the message yet. And I needed time to step away and, and, and figure that out, I guess. So I guess in, I'm saying two things. One, that learning my seasons and honoring my seasons. Um, And then also discovering my voice, what that was and what that message was. And I, and that message, that message, there's two messages. One message was for me and one message was for others. The message for me was that all I needed to do was be, I didn't need to be anything other than just me. Um, I didn't need to try to be something. I just am that thing. It's almost like an apple seed realizing that it's an apple seed and it doesn't need to try to be an apple tree. If it has water, if it has soil, if it has the conditions that allows it to grow and it is planted, it will grow into an apple tree. It doesn't have to try to be one. It is, right? So for me, it was learning that about myself, that I have everything I need within myself to be the thing that I was meant to be. I don't need to understand it, just like a seed doesn't need to understand how it's going to be an apple tree. It just will be because it has everything it needs. So it was that same realization for me um, that I don't need to effort nikki i don't need to try to effort through the living of nikki i just need to live the damn thing <laughs> and it'll all happen right so um so yeah so that was something i learned the uh and then when i was talking about seasons to make it more clear so that i'm not being convoluted and people can actually understand what i'm saying no is that... I, I perfectly understood it I, I'm, okay, I'm, good. I'm in
0: silence because it's so beautiful i'm just taking in everything <laughs> you're saying and i'm just like wow that the just the the way that your language move in between sentences are so beautiful. So okay, keep going. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> no, so what, um, with the seasons, um, to be more concise about it, the seasons, I think what ends up happening is that a lot of times, and I, I keep talking about this glorification of like summer or glorification of mind. In our society, Things we we are taught to glorify things. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is that because we are meant to be holistic and because we are meant to be live a full life with different dimensions and layers. And we don't always fulfill all those things. We end up feeling sick, depressed, whatever those things are. We try to quiet our body or these sensations we get because we feel uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable for a reason because things are trying to tell you something's wrong. So you have to listen to those things. I wasn't listening to them. So um, with the seasons, what I learned and I was in winter for two years, I was in my winter for two years, which is a long time to be down, I guess, if you want to call it that. But what it taught me, because everybody loves fucking summer. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but everybody loves summer. Everybody loves summer. They love when you're on the rise. They love when you're glowing. They love when you're when things are coming your way. That's when you'll find a lot of people around, you know. But when you're in your winter, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling depressed, when things are not you're not reaping the benefits of anything, you're just literally in your own little grind people tend to um dismiss talk away um excuse their winters as though winter is not fucking powerful like there are even a maple tree sheds its leaves like there's no plant on earth that doesn't have a period when it doesn't grow it's necessary to life but for some reason, we think that when we're feeling down or when we need to rest or when we I don't want to I, I, I'm very um, careful when I use this word because people do have serious issue around this. But when people feel depressed, these sort of things, people sometimes feel that there's something wrong with them when it's not. Sometimes when you're down, it's because you need to rest. Your body needs to rejuvenate. It needs to you need to grow, change. There's so many things that Sometimes growth is not seen. Just like when you, when you plant a seed, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the soil before you actually Mm -hmm. see the leaves, right? And people feel like because they're not seeing all the the frilly stuff that people celebrate, there's nothing happening. And when you deny yourself from rooting, or your roots, sometimes your your leaves stop growing because your roots need the energy. Mm -hmm. So, I had been in this place where I had stepped back from television, from anything. I stepped away from social, actually, because that was a point where I was like, if I don't have anything of importance to say, if I don't know what my message is yet, I'm going to say nothing. I needed to conserve those energies to root. And in that time, it was very dark. I couldn't even be around people that were like throwing positivity dust. They pissed me off. And I was like, stop throwing your positivity dust on me. I don't want to be happy for the sake of being happy. Mm. I need to be. So I allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. And I would visit trees. Trees were my teacher during that time. They were the only thing that made sense to me. And there were so many lessons that I learned from them. Um, at that time, I needed things that were certain. Nature's certain. It does its thing. It doesn't need to the whole idea of the the seed and the apple seed tree and all these things boundaries all these different things that i i, I can't even get into right now cuz then this podcast would be like forever long um, but i learned from how trees work and move naturally and it made sense to me one of the things that took me out of my winter was the realization i had a i read a quote i don't know my my life seems to go with these quotes and all of a sudden i like wow and then i changed my whole entire life but i had this quote and it said something along the lines of dawn or night is not this thing that you um it's not this thing that you that exists just when you wait until dawn um there are magnificent creatures that live their entire life is in the darkness and when i read that i was like oh my wow. friggin goodness i i because i had still at that point i was still at that point battling This idea of me being in darkness and being sad and being depressed and being angry. And when I read that, I was like, oh, shit. The problem here is that I keep trying to push away the very things that I need to feel. I needed to feel darkness. That's what I needed. I needed to visit my darkness, understand it accept it, respect it, become friends with it. I literally became friends with my darkness and when I became my darkness is fucking powerful. Darkness is powerful in general. And when you can accept the darkest part of you and see that and accept it and and take it as your own, then you're not afraid of things anymore. You don't push anything away cuz you know it. You know your darkness, you know its limits, you know what it needs. You listen to it. So anyways, all that to say that I learned about my darkness and I respect and I love my darkness. I give it space to do what it needs to do, because when I can accept my darkness, oh man, my light is so much more brighter, it's fucking brilliant, and yeah, so yeah, that's what oh, I learned about myself.
0: <laughs> Where else can we go after this oh, it's so beautiful wow i'm I'm actually in tears <laughs> right now because is resonated with me so 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 much I can't even even explain how much he has resonated with me. Because in the beginning of the the podcast before you we hit recording, you asked me, how are you? Right? And then I'm just I told you, yeah, you know, about motherhood, right? And then I mm-hmm. I took a break from Dear Seekers because rightfully so I became a mother. Mm-hmm. But even like rational, intelligently knowing that I I gave birth to this person you know I still struggle on a daily basis that I need to output I need to showcase I'm doing something um you know I'm still producing I'm, I'm still could be this productivity um thing to the society but then you know who am I still trying to answer to not everybody's waiting around where's ear seekers you know <laughs> It's not like I'm, a, you know, I'm that important. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's so interesting. Like what you share is that a winter that we need, but we're so glorifying the summer, the spring. Every seasons are definitely needed. So I really, really thank you for that. Like it's so much resonance to me. I hope this will bring some light or dark darkness to to uh, <laughs> people who are listening. Because just so beautiful, it is that yin and yang that we. We yes. like you know, before I would never understand Yang and because I growing up to this concept, I almost feel like it was such a tacky thing. Like, you know, what does that even mean? Have this like light and white and black. It's like and people would tattoo on their on their body. I'm like, oh that's so tacky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, you I would never, never go there. But yeah, now it's really come to full circle of like understanding that you know fully appreciate it it's about mm-hmm. really embrace that darkness because we we all have like some people are darker than mm-hmm. the others you know I mean, some people have like a longer period of time uh, in the darkness than others but when we are trying to push away from that then that's when the darkness started to come
1: back and haunt us right that's it that's exactly it mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. learn how to dance with the darkness it's crazy because the amount of energy that we exert trying to push away our darkness is so much. That's why I was exhausted. That's why I was so exhausted because I was spending so much time trying to like mask this thing or trying to but there was nothing wrong with the thing that I was trying to mask. And and it's, you know, a lot of times the problem that I think it's not a total I don't say the only problem because there's so many problems. I mean, we can obviously see that in our world now, but I think part of the reason is that because we live in a society that has all these, that kind of tries to show us a picture of how good life looks like. And because our life mm. does not look like that, we immediately think something is wrong with us. The problem is not us. There's never an issue with us. It's just like telling a blade of grass that it's not growing in the right direction as blades of grass. How the hell do you tell a, bl- how do you know what is the right way that, for a blade of grass to grow or, or, or a grain of sand to tell a grain of sand that it's, it's, it doesn't have the right rough edges? It's sand. It's a blade of grass. They are all different. None of them look the same. So it's like telling us, human beings, that this is the model life that you should live. This is how you should be within these parameters. No wonder we are all comparing and feeling like we are inadequate because none of us will measure up to the standard. The standard is erroneous. The issue is not us, the issue is the image that we're put in front of us. The only image that we can look at that is accurate is a mirror. That's it. So if so if we're able to accept the image that is reflected to us in that mirror, you could do whatever the fuck you want after that. You can't. You know, that's
0: the hardest part is like looking yourself in the mirror and accepting this person wholeheartedly. That's it. Don't you think that's you know the, the hardest part?
1: Is, mm-hmm. It's 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 difficult if you are looking at it from a perspective of I have to accept the person in the mirror. I think it's easier when you look at it from a perspective of, I need to cleanse myself of the image that I have been given before me. Because when you're a kid, you don't have an Im- a problem with the image in the mirror. That's all you know. So you scream loud, you dance, you eat, you play, you roll around in the dirt, and you do all the things because that is what you, that comes from your belly. It comes from within you, right? So you don't even have, just like the seed, you don't have to try to be anything. The problem that we have is not that we don't know what we need. Our bodies will tell us, our souls will tell us if we, are, if we are quiet enough to listen. The problem is that it's too noisy. There's too much noise going around. You're supposed to be like this. You're supposed to go this way. Your parents are telling you to do something. The society is telling you to do something. Your husband, your wife, your kid, everybody's telling you to do and pull you in all these different directions. You need the time. To quiet everything. That's why meditation works, because it's a time where you can quiet everything around you so you can hear yourself again. So it's not a I don't think it's so much about look at the mirror and try to like yourself. Nah. Because once you push away or once you cleanse yourself or of, of all the noise around you, falling in love with yourself is like the easiest thing to do. It's so it's it's mm. so easy and it's friggin' fun. Like you just like, man, I am incredible. Like and then and then the things that you say to yourself the things that come from within they're always right because they're coming from you and they feel so good like it's like talking to yourself and being like you think that too i've been thinking that my whole life you are so smart like it's like that it's coming from within so it always resonates it always feels so good because you're like damn i can hear you you are so magnificent i'm so happy to meet you Mm -hmm. again you know, so and, you know, no. and so
0: interested. Yeah, and, and then also, this kind of like tie back to uh, recently. I was listening to a podcast, and then mm-hmm. you talking about uh, identity, right? So when you were little, you have this like strong sense of who you are, and then you just like hopeful. You you know, this society is going to accept who you are as this little person, and then you grow up, and a little bit, and then you realize, oh, okay, so maybe I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be that way. And as you say maybe people from different walks of life start telling you who you're supposed to be. And then you kind of strip away your own identity and you just kind of erase and erase and erase. And to one point you feel like you're skinny and bone and then society
1: still don't accept you. (laughs) Yes, It's like, I have stripped myself to the fucking bone for you. (laughs) And now I'm still not enough. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's why when that's what I had to realize is like, when somebody tells you that you're dancing wrong to the tune, sometimes the problem is the tune. You're dancing and you're loving it and you're moving in all the different directions because you can hear the tune in your friggin' heart. They can't hear it. So of course they're going to tell you you're dancing wrong. They listen to a different beat than you are. So you have to be strong enough to know that you have your own beat and you have to be strong enough to know that beat is yours and that nobody else can hear it until Unless sometimes because we are all connected, there are sometimes that the beats and the rhythms and the frequencies of other people vibrate at the same time. When you find people that are just like, man, those are my people, it doesn't always last. Sometimes it goes out of beat and you move on. But I'm just saying is that you have moments where you dance at the same beat with other people. But you still have to know, even in those times when you're dancing at the tuna and the same beat, you're still an individual and your rhythm will change. And that's okay. If you are uncertain of anything in life, Be sure of the fact that you are an individual, you have your own beat, and that beat and your heart and your voice and your spirit will guide you in the direction that you're supposed to go. And if you do not deviate from that, you will be fucking happy. You will love life and it'll be full. And then the rest you figure out, whatever else there is, you know, like you figure it out. But I mean, at least for me, that's where it seems to be taking me. And I'm allowing myself to believe that wholeheartedly. And the things that I'm discovering, because I am accepting that wholeheartedly, has been incredible. And the one thing that I think is really interesting, and when I discovered this, it changed, it was a game changer, is that when you have the courage to listen to your own beat and to and accept your own flow, the world moves with it. That's it. <laughs> I don't think I have no more to share because,
0: wow, <laughs> this, wow. Let us sinking a little bit. I feel like this conversation is so good. Wow! Thank you for having me. Honestly, I can't wait to for people to listen because I think that's gonna change a lot of people's life right now. Because like a lot of people need to listen to this.
1: You no, know, it's very very powerful. Thank you so much for having me and giving me a platform to speak my truth. Um, I'm, when I do design, I don't always get an opportunity to speak the things that come from my belly, but it was really nice to be able to ex- to share that with you today.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing. I mean sharing is um, that's why they say memoir as as a book is more powerful than than any self-help book. Mm. Because when you're sharing, that like tune into somebody else's psyche. It's like that's so different than just reading a self-help book and tell you what to do. It's totally different.
1: Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. I know. Thank you so much, Nikki. Same to you.
0: And stay, health- okay. stay healthy.
1: You too. <laughs> Bye.
0: Bye. All right. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope this conversation will bring you just as much as you brought me. Um, lots of aha moments, lots of um, inspiration, lots of motivation, and uh, our ne- next newsletter it's gonna be in two weeks on a sunday morning i can't remember which day it's gonna be but i think it's gonna be an awesome one all right and uh, so i will see you in two weeks i really hope you will sign up to our newsletter the link to the sign up is in the show notes if you are interested in it and uh, please leave us a review or comment or tell all your friends okay bye